When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good day, everybody. It's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope everyone's having an awesome day, rocking out to some tunes, whether it's new, whether it's old, as long as you're listening to rock and roll. Our next guest here on the latest episode of the New Music Spotlight hails from Brighton in the United Kingdom. The band is Rocket Dolls, and the guest is their lead singer, Nikki Smash. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, man. How's it going? You good? It's going great, man. Great to have you on the show. I I, uh, I know we've been trying to coordinate this now for a bit, but uh, glad that you're finally on. Oh, man. Anytime, man. Thank you very much for having me. It means a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. So, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but... We always start off the same way every time we have a new guest, and it's the same question every single time, and it's the essence of the show, which is just like every rock song has a hook, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, man. Well, do you mean like for when it started for me as, as a person? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, I think for me it was seeing it was hearing Sunshine of Your Love by Queen. Um, when I kind of heard that, I was like, "What the hell is that?" You know. And then my dad was like, "Oh, that's Eric Clapton," you know. And um, I was just like, "That guitar sounds amazing." You know. And I was, I think I was like seven or eight, and I said, "I oh my god, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard." And then from then on. You know, I kept on bugging my mum and dad, and I got a guitar at ten, and then like the rest is history, as they say. But that was that one moment I remember hearing uh, "Sunshine of Your Love" by um, Cream, and I was just like, "Wow, I've never heard anything like that." And then that was it changed. <laughs> Where did your music taste go from there? I mean, that's such an iconic song. What came next? Um, after that. Because I just got heavily into like the blues rock thing, and then I heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit" by Nirvana, and then that changed my life. Um, I know it's such a cheesy thing to say, but um, obviously the age on that I was I was only born in 1986, so by the time I was um, eight or nine, Kurt had already passed. So kind of like I wasn't around to like witness it, witness it all as it happened, but. My mum and dad were, were always listening to 
rock music and all kinds of music. And I was kind of familiar with hearing Nirvana but not really knowing much about it. And then someone brought in Nevermind CD, um, who was like a couple of years above me at school. And the moment I heard it, I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, and so I was like, oh my God, it sounds like sound the future. <laughs> you know, like, because I was you know, being such a whirlwind of like blues rock and, you know, like Hendrix and all that stuff. And I kind of was, I was in a bit of a guitar bubble. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my God. You know, and then again, that was, that was the next biggest changing life moment for me. And then ever since then, I've just, I've loved Nirvana, you know, and always wanted to be there. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was an interesting time in music. I mean, you, you're going from, you know, Hendrix and, and Clapton, as you mentioned, into a very, what's the, I mean, they call it the grunge era of music, but it was a very anti-establishment and it was very thought-provoking, you know, it was a, it was a complete change. Yeah from what was previous, you know, where you had, you know, the glam rock of the 80s and, you know, you had a lot of bands yeah. that were more image conscious than the bands like Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. Was, what was it that attracted you to Nirvana? I mean, there obviously was the music. Did the words connect with you? I mean, what was it about them? It, to me, it was just the sound. And like, I, I can't really describe it, but you know when you just hear something and even before, like, there's any vocals or any melody, just the sound of, like, I remember hearing that drum feel, you know, and it just, like, flooring me, <laughs> you know, and then, like, then, like, the bass comes in and the guitars, like, it's just, like, crank, you know, you could just tell that, like, everything about, that album, like, ants were about to explode if they had gone on any longer and things like that. And I think even as a kid, I think I was, like, 11 when I heard that. So when I heard that, I was like, you know, just the impact of hearing a band sound like that. I think so, so contrasting from what I'd be listening to. Like, I think just before that, I got into Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> so, like, I was really, really into, like, the blues thing and... Um, but then I'd see Kurt Cobain playing like the same guitars as the blues rock guys and it sounded completely different, you know, and I was just like, wow, that is incredible. And yeah, I, every time I hear, never mind, and I just hear those guitar sounds and stuff, it just immediately takes you back to hearing it for the first time. It's, it's such a, had such a profound effect on me that even now when I hear it, I just get the same enjoyment. Like it never gets old, and I think when something like that impacts you so hard, it, you know it's such a special feeling, you know. And um, like I said, every time I hear it, I get the same feeling. It never gets old for me, and yeah, just the sound—it's just the sound. And I think you can like—I don't know if you've ever heard like any Kurt's like isolated vocals from that album. It just sounds like he's gonna like explode any moment. It's incredible stuff, and. You know, it's, yeah, it just had such a profound effect on me. As you continued to explore music, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan right before your Nirvana experience, was there a moment that 
made you want to be on stage and perform? Yeah, totally. I think, again, it, uh, after that, I, I discovered like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and, um, and then Metallica, you know, and like, I think, uh, I think it was, it was a live Metallica DVD. Right? Obviously it was on VHS tape at the time that my cousin, who was a lot older than me, had. And he was like, well, if you like Nirvana, you're like this. And I think it was, Cunning stunts. I think that I think that came out like like ninety six or something. You know, with the load and reload records and and I'm controversial on Metallica. Like I love Metallica. I've got everything they've ever done. But my favourite Metallica records are Load and Reload. <laughs> and that always divides <laughs> opinions straight away. But when I think when they're touring that and like seeing um Kurt Hammett with, you know, like the leather pants on and like his, he kind of had like that goth thing going on. He had like big black eyes and, you know, his nails painted. I was like, oh my God, that guy's like the archetype rock star. I want to look like that, you know. But I want to sound like Nirvana. <laughs> you know, so I think it's kind of a combination of, you know, seeing like the grunge things, um, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden were also huge for me as well. I think kind of, those those four like being discovering Nirvana, then getting into like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, but then like seeing Metallica run around that double snake pitch stage that they had, I was like, oh my god, you can do that with a guitar? <laughs> That's awesome, you know. Like so, I was like, yeah, I I want to do I want to do that, you know. And then ever since ever since like eleven, twelve, uh, all I've wanted to do was you know be a rock star. <laughs> For, for sure. I mean, you know, th- those are those are some big names. You know, I mean, when you're growing up in that era, um, you know, those that was really where it was at. I mean, Metallica obviously started in the '80s, and a lot of their hardcore fans still regard those albums in the '80s as their, you know, as the prime Metallica. You know, the Black Album I always liked, and I always liked Load and Reload. I know some Metallica fans may cringe when we say that. But I, I just think it's hard for a Metallica fan or a lot of Metallica fans, I should say, not everyone, but a lot of Metallica fans to connect with those records after Injustice for All, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Kill Em All, because they are such so different. Um, and they, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're from, you know, two ends of, of the spectrum and they're totally different approaches. And I just think that, you know, with those albums, you really have to listen to them as separate entities and not compare them to what came before. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I mean, later on in life, I went and discovered um, Motley Crue. And, but I discovered Motley Crue from the John Karabi stuff, right? Where they're like drop tuned and drop C and like like big game and the drum production is like insane. And I loved like that slow, grungy, big riff stuff. So when I saw pictures of Motley Crue when they looked like chicks, and I was like, "Who the hell's that?" <laughs> you know. But then I discovered Motley Crue, and someone was like, "This is Motley Crue. This is what they sound like." It was like a false, like 
economy for me. <laughs> because someone was like, dude, check this, this is Motley Crue. And I was like, oh my God, I thought that, I didn't think they sounded like this. You know, and then, um, um, I, I love Motley Crue, by the way. I think they're, I think they're rad. But like, yeah, when I, I got introduced to Motley Crue via that album first, you know, and I still think that's their best record. A lot of people do. By a long shot. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's the best thing. And like, it's you know what's interesting about that record, man, is that even if you put it on now, it sounds like it's come out yesterday. A lot it, like, of, yeah. It's just, a lot, the production on it is insane. And it's like, and that's like still done on tape, you know, where there's like no computer trickery and stuff going on there. That's just like dudes ripping instruments loud, you know, and you can hear that. It sounds loud. Do you know what I mean? Like, sounds like guitars are like too loud and Tommy's hitting drums so, so hard he's just going to like break his back almost, you know. <laughs> you know, it's such an incredible record. And I think around that similar time, there were a couple of records for me actually, which, um, which have that kind of similar thing. There's King's X Dogman, which does that for me. They're obviously Load and Reload, um, the Bios and Chains, and uh, well, never mind. Um, um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the Soundgarden one, the one with Black Ops from, from, I can't remember, it's gone off the top of my head. But um, Super Unknown, I think. You know, they all have um, that Motley Crue record. They all have this thing where it's just like, oh my God, that's insane about this, you know. And um, even bands like Big Rec as well. Like, I, I'm, I'm a massive Ian Thorne um, geek and hearing, like, Big Rec and, Ian, and his solo records formerly. Like it's still like you put them on now, and you're like, man, this could kind of this could have just come out. Like they all have these just like Titanic sounding records, and I think like Sonic stuff like that, I'm so drawn to. If it sounds big and it has like good hooks, I'm I'm like there. <laughs> big Wreck is one of my favorite bands. I just saw them late last year at a club, and they they're just phenomenal. I mean, their their albums are so well done sonically, and their songs are so. I mean, the lyrics and the arrangements, they are just an awesome band. And it just, it, I, I, I just can't understand why they're not bigger than they are because they're just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, man. It's like um, being in the UK, um, I'm, I'm part of their Facebook fan group. Okay. So that's how much I love them. I, I literally track them down. I'm always sending in messages like, man, you've got to come to the UK. And I think he, there's an interview he did like two years ago where he, I think he actually mentioned me and says, yeah, there's a dude from the UK that always badges me to like come over to the UK, but they can't because they're just not, they're just so unknown over here, like, which is criminal to me. But to me, they sound like the best band of all time. And like, why is that, why, why are they not playing like Wembley? You know, why aren't they playing, you know, some massive stadium somewhere? Yeah, you know, just like man, you know. And the thing is, for me, being in the UK, it sucks because unless I spend, you know, you're talking a couple of grand, I'm not going to get to see him play because I'm going to have to fly out to Canada or the US and then hotel ticket prices and everything like that. You know, it's crazy. You know, but yeah, just uh, Ian, if you're listening, I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll tell you this: seeing them live. They sound just like the album. Oh they, man, they are they are they just they they are just incredible, and they jam, and you know, 
I, I, if you ever get the opportunity, I saw them in Chicago. I think the tickets were 25, 30 bucks a piece. Um, and, uh, it was at a small club, probably about five, 600 people capacity. And it was awesome. Dude, man. Like that's the dream. I'd love to see being, you know, in a small club like that. I'd be insane. Right. And and the thing is, man, he's like the most humble dude. Whenever I see him, he's the guy. It's like, you know, just such a nice dude. And, you know, you only want good things for, for good people, and he's definitely one of them. And it was like, oh man, I just wish they were such a bigger band than they are. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got the whole package. He he he's a phenomenal guitar player, and he's got a great voice too. Yeah, exactly. He's got what I call the triple threat. You know, like he can sing, he can play, and he can write. Yeah, you know, that's it. <laughs> well, speaking of writing, you know, as we're talking here about your. You know, you know your evolution into music. You know, we talked about performing. Was there a song or a moment or a band? You know that uh, you heard a song. And you said, you know what, I'm going to write a song too as well. I, I want to do that. Was there a moment for you with you know for that? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's um, one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, is a diorama by Silverchair, and when I heard that. The same thing. I was just like, "Oh my god!" There's, you know, and then hearing that record and just thinking, "Wow, this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard." It like, there's like some doom stoner thing going on in there, and there's sort of like some Beatles, Beach Boys pop thing, and there's some of this beautiful, like, melancholy arrangements, all sorts of things going on there. Which is, if you put on a really, really good pair of headphones, you can just hear so much more and just do normal speakers. It's quite an incredible sound and record. And yeah, just when I heard that, I was like, man, I'll hopefully I can write something like that one day. And, you know, basically this new record that we've got coming out on May the 1st, um, is kind of like, if I could have written diorama, this is what it will sound like, you know, with kind of hints of, um, uh, like albatross, by Big Wreck in there as well, you know, but also having like thunderous guitars in there as well. So, yeah, you know, Silverchair again, like Daniel John, all the things he, he went through and to making that record, um, incredible stuff. And yeah, definitely when I heard stuff like Tune in the Brine and Across the Night, I think we've actually got something on our first record called Across the Night as well. Um, you know, for, um, and I think he's only like what twenty one years old, twenty two years old when he when he wrote that record. That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, they were a great band uh, back in the day, and that's a great yeah. album too, as well. Your new album, "The Art of Disconnect," is out May first. The new yeah. single, "The Grip," came out at the end of January. Are you excited for yeah. the new release? I mean, this is the follow up from Deadhead in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, man, I, I'm so excited because it's it's different to Deadhead. Deadhead is kind of like, you know, it's very raw because our first album was like super polished. You know what I mean? It was like, we, you know, at the time when it was, we started recording it in like um, 2012 and it came out in 2014, it was like bands were really pro-tooled, you know, and everything's super polished and on the grid. And 
we didn't like doing anything like that, but that was kind of the thing. So when we did Dead Head, it was like, I don't want to do any of that. So it's very kind of raw sounding, you know, and then when you get to the Art of Disconnect, which is coming out soon, I'm so excited because we've done a couple of old school things on here, like the drums and the bass are all recorded live, so they're not multi-tracked at all. So the rhythm section of the whole entire album was recorded live. So the only thing that was dubbed on afterwards was obviously like pianos, guitars and vocals, but the drums and the bass were all recorded live. And it's so cool to be able to make a record uh, like that. And by the way, the boys smashed that, like Ben Gio drummer and Gerald bass player, they recorded that whole album in two days. <laughs> two days. They did the, they, we, we tracked 14 songs, 13 made it on the album from a list of 30 songs, and they did all of that in two days. Wow. Live. Yeah. You, you, so, you mentioned, the, you know, the, the differences between the previous album and this one, and is it important for you and the band to evolve and not afraid to try different things and do different things? I mean, I know a lot of bands like to keep their sound and they like to keep, you know, doing what they do. But, you know, when we talked about your influences going all the way from Cream and Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan to Nirvana and Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Metallica, all that stuff, Silverchair, you know, that, that's a huge spectrum of influence. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really, you know, different. I mean, not a lot of people mention Hendrix, Vaughn, Clapton, and then Nirvana and Alice in Chains, and, you know, as their influences. So, but, th- I mean, but that shows yeah. that, like, you know, you're, you're, you are willing to keep an open mind and, 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 and listen to different things. And as a band, as the Rocket Dolls keep progressing, is it important for you to really kind of stretch yourselves into, you know, your music? Yeah, um, the, the kind of the, the motto of the band, and we kind of steal it from Ian Thorny because it's not known in the UK, <laughs> is that we say the biggest ego in the room is always the song. So um, when you write, you never want to write the same song twice. That's kind of the big thing. I mean, I know it happens. You'll have songs that kind of have similarity, or you know, you know, like we like we say that um, you have songs that in, influence sounds of, um, you know, how can I say? Like, yeah, they influence writing for the next song. So, like, um, on our first album, we had a song called "Can't Keep It Down." And that, I was like, ah, yeah, that was good. But if I had done this, done that differently. And then I wrote None of This Is Right, which opened the second record. So it can't, you know, they kind of influence how you write, but we never want to write the same song twice. And certainly don't want to make the same album twice. And we're already actually halfway through demoing the fourth album and the third one's not even out yet. Um, so, um, and it's completely different to what the book comes out so again like it's there's always an evolving cycle in, and uh, I, I love songwriting like it's my favourite thing to do so when you get to it, kind of because we're not under a label you know or anything like that and we don't have any as I can say loyalty to anyone above us going you must write like this you must write like that it's kind of a great thing and we turned down record deals before different things and it's like no I don't want to be associated with that 
So we are our own people, and we, if we want to write a Panic at the Disco-esque song, we will. If we want to write a, you know, Bring Me the Horizon-esque song, we will. Or, you know, an Alice in Chains-esque song, we will. You know, a diorama, all of that stuff. We will. We just write what we want to write, and we always make sure that the song is the best it can possibly be. And regardless of what genre that it takes influence from, as long as the song is good, then it's good. You know, we kind of try and keep the format of it that simple. And hopefully that comes across. <laughs> I think it does. I mean, you know, the first single is awesome. It's phenomenal. And, you know, the last album you guys did, you know, was great too. I mean, so I'm looking forward to this to this album. I'm really excited about it. Uh, as, Thanks, man. Yeah. As you guys come together, you know, being a three-piece, you talked about your influences. You know, what are some of the other influences that the other members of the band bring to the table? Well, funny enough, Ben has a similar story, but with drumming. You know, he's influenced from drummers like Bernard Purdy, who's like, I think, the most recorded drummer of all time and has been drumming since the 50s and stuff. You know, so um, if you ever go on YouTube and check out... Um, um, Bernard Purdy and check out the, the Purdy Shuffle and things like that. That's what, you know, Ben loves, but he also loves Dave Crow. You know, but then he also loves um, Ilan Rubin, who's the drummer for Nine Inch Nails. The Nine Inch Nails bands like Paradise Lost and stuff like that are his favourite bands. Like, he's into, like, the real dark, big stuff. You know, and then Joe is into, like, you know, um, there's a band in the UK called Rubin who were a three-piece and you know, um, I suggest people check them out and he's into bands like um, Electric on Fire and um, Mastodon and, you know, all sorts of bands like that. You know, so um, when you kind of get all three of that together, it does create some sort of special sauce. <laughs> you yeah. know, so some sort of, you know, special stuff. And it's cool because, like, um, Ben is like a really... You know, he doesn't play like double kick, and which is kind of odd for our genre. You know, people expect him to have double kick pedals and stuff like that. And he has a really modest kit setup, just like a, you know, like just the minimalist he can use, he'll play, you know, because that's like traditional type of, you know, style. But um, if you ever get to see any clips of us live, you know, he whacks the crap out of the drums and what have you. You know, he's definitely got that day girl, I'm going to be louder and bigger and better than everyone else <laughs> you know going on um, which is always fun you know and Joe's bass you know he's, he just sounds like the rumbiest thing I've ever had in my life he's kind of kind of got that like he's got such a modern bass sound but again he plays like old school stuff like Senate Purposes and things like that you know and has like old school men um, sensibilities with modern stuff you know and uh Again, like yeah, yeah, it does have like that dub clinic thing kind of going on, I suppose. You know, just that, just the bases are like, massive. You know, but also he's like so energetic. He's like moving around all over the place. You know, and I'm always fixed to the mic unless there's some fat riff going on, so I don't get to move around as much as you know. But um, yeah, we kind of take a, a collection of all sorts of different genres and influences and just you know, just see what happens. You know, I, I, I write everything and, you know, I, I don't mean drums and bass, but I mean, I write all the songs and 
then I, I kind of pitch it to the guys and go, what do you think? And then they put their slavers on and then it, and then it turns into the rocket dolls, you know. And when you guys are creating and you're developing music for this upcoming album and albums in the past and how is that process? And, and, you know, do you, do you guys all bring ideas? Is there a primary songwriter? How does that all work? Um, I write everything. So, um, I, I'm, I'm, that's kind of like also like my job in the band to write songs and the guys play them, you know, and it's, um, you know, there's, there's, there's moments when, of course, they input stuff. I, I, always, I always say, you know, again, taking that thorny quote of, you know, the biggest ego in the room is the song. So I go, here's a song. What can you do to make it better? And then we all put things in, you know, to the point where even when it's like, I've written the song, but they're like, these, you know, these lyrics aren't quite right. These need to go away and work on them. So I will. And, you know, or this guitar part, you know, you could do something better there. You know, we're very honest and very comfortable with all our own abilities. So it's very easy to say, like, try a different ability here or a different sound or, you know, perhaps you need to play more in this drum part or you need to play less. And, you know, we all know that at the end of the day, all we want is just a great song. So there's never any animosity between anyone going into the issue to do that or how about this, how about that. So it's quite it's quite an easy process, really, you know, and the guys put a lot of trust and faith in me and, you know, what I can do and hopefully, you know, making an EP and three albums, you know, they have enough trust in me by now, <laughs> you know, and, you know, we're already, like I said, I think we're 14 songs into um, the next, you know, the next cycle already and, you know, what I'm coming up with already is already different, you know, but it still sounds like the Rocket Dolls, you know, it's obviously a thing that would do that makes it sound like that, so I'm not quite sure what it is, you know, but it still has that um, sound about it and what have you. Of course, it's like guitar riff driven with like catchy melodies, you know. The, the joke was years ago when I was writing, it's like, well, I want Beats to rock out and then chick to sing along. <laughs> For sure. You know, so we're on the eve or almost the eve of you guys rele- releasing a new album. It's probably a little over a month to go, um, about six, seven weeks. Yeah. What else is in store? I know you got a bit of a little bit of a spring tour in the UK coming up. And then what's after that? What happens? Well, in the summer, we're playing a couple of festivals um, around the UK. Um, uh, like Call of the World and things like that, which is a great up and coming festival in the UK, and you know it's cool to be a part of that. Um, we are hoping, hopefully, going to go to Australia in November. We're still awaiting confirmation on that, and um, the thing that's stopping that at the moment is the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, any. Any, you know, we've even had some stuff today. People are like, um, you know, um, there's been a, um, a lot of press in the UK today about um, big bands canceling tours um, because of the coronavirus, which is also kind of ridiculous, but also frightening because our tour is one of the tours on the list where people are like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to that now because of coronavirus, which is just 
soul destroying to me, you know, to having to like read stuff like that. You know, so I'll have to see what happens, and hopefully that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, we're hopefully trying to get out to Australia later on in the year. And there was talk about hitting the states as well, but that um, that got delayed. Um, uh, that was, you know, it takes a long time to book for the states if you're a, a small band from the UK because the visas, the visa system between the UK and US is just astronomically expensive. It's, it's um, almost uh, the visas are almost as much as it is to make a record as it is to tour in the US. So it's um, a crazy system <laughs> that you have to really work around. And at any point, it falls apart. It just collapses, and that's what happened in November when we're trying to book. Otherwise, we've been out in the states in June. But um, we are back in the studio in the summer, um, recording again. And you know, while you know we're not able to play all of the festivals, you know, we, we don't take any time off. You know, um, so we'll be we'll be writing and recording, and hopefully have something out for 2021 <laughs> which is crazy to think about that far ahead but you know it's in this like kind of fast food uh, music environment that we have nowadays uh, you have to, the shelf life of your stuff doesn't last very long so you have to keep pressing on 100 percent. i mean you know what's what's new today is old and forgotten you know very soon you know people's attention spans are a lot different than they, they used to be um, you know, a lot, yeah. there's a lot more music and a lot more options for people, you know, because it is easier to record than it was years ago. So, you know, in yeah. that aspect, you can keep pumping out music, but you're, you know, you're right when you say, you know, with the coronavirus, you know, we're getting a lot of press here too in the States about tours being canceled. Pearl Jam just canceled their tour in the spring uh, South by Southwest, which is a huge festival in Austin, Texas, canceled. Coachella and Stagecoach uh, rescheduled till or postponed till October. So there is a lot of unknown right now. Uh, I mean, even sports teams are talking about playing in empty stadiums, which is just crazy. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I know I've got some tickets to some shows here at the end of the month. Uh, and into April, so we'll see. But uh, it is a crazy time. These are these are uncharted waters, as I you know as I've told yeah. people. We you know we don't, we've never experienced anything like this. So you know, there's really no playbook for it. Uh, there's been a lot of movies about it, but there's no playbook, you know, in reality. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it is kind of different. And as far as you know, you guys play in the states. You know, I know, you know, when I talk to you know, Riders Creed or Takeaway Thieves, you know, they mention the same thing that, you know, it is expensive to tour the States. You know, it is a challenge. I know the Amazons just came with Dirty Honey. Uh, you know, Dirty Honey, of course, is a, is a band from from uh, California. And then last summer, I was I had the pleasure of seeing uh, Temperance Movement with Tyler Bryant. So... You know, I mean, maybe there's a, you know, a, a way of doing it where you kind of are able to at least break even, make a, maybe make a little bit of money. But I've heard those challenges before, and it sucks for people like me who want to see the Rocket Dolls, who want to see other bands in the UK, you know, because, you know, I love their music and I love your music and, and other people as well. I mean, you do, you guys do have fans 
here in the States, um, it's just a shame the way things are set up now. It, there's, there's more challenges than there, than there should be. Yeah, man. I mean, like on the subject of that, you know, thank you very much as well for your kind words, man. That means uh, a lot to me. Um, you know, we actually have more people on Spotify listening in America than we do in our own home country. So for us, especially, um, we've been, we've been trying for years to uh, get out to the stage. We kind of at one point, um, uh, we wanted to try and do what Bush did, you know, from the UK and just kind of set up shop in, in, in California and see what happens. But um, I think as we tried to do that many years ago, we had like the market crash. So then that just halted that, <laughs> you know, so, and now we're looking to tour and now we've got coronavirus. <laughs> so it's like, okay, maybe we're not supposed to do that yet. But, you know, maybe if um, Ian Thorne is listening, he can um, take the rocket dog out and um you know we'll have handsomely we'll pay the favor over in the uk and europe you know so um we love <laughs> that's 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 kind of like my hope for that but on the subject again with like coronavirus and festival stuff i read this morning um that seattle has put in a ban on venues um so any public gathering that's above 250 people the police will break it up yes and it's like, wow, that's, that's like, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's crazily serious. You know, it's, you know, you're talking about any club circuit, you know, it's just kind of finished until like resolved. And that has such a knock on effect that people don't realize people just think that who aren't in the industry and who aren't club owners or who aren't bands or of any genre, you know, they're going, well, you know, that's, you know, that students working in a bar to get through college, they're not going to get um, money because they can't work at the bar because the bar will be closed. And, you know, and then you're, you know, people who own the business aren't going to be able to pay their rent and their mortgage and whatever. You just have such a catastrophic knock on, you know, that, um, it's more than just, oh, well, well, we'll just postpone this tour for six months, you know, and that's kind of another way for me. It's like, man, it's, you know, it's, venues in the UK, especially small venues, are crumbling and um, struggling as, it, as they are, you know, let alone something like this happening. It's just, you know, it must be dealing with some, some venues, you know, mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, there's definitely a ripple effect. I mean, you know, I mentioned South by Southwest earlier in our conversation. You know, there's billions of dollars that go into the local economy when people go to that festival because of all the restaurants, the hotels, everything. You know, because there's there's thousands of people there for that weekend. So, you know, yeah. that, that's, that, that puts a strain on the travel industry, hotels. You know, obviously airlines are going to struggle. Rental car operations are going to struggle. So, I mean, it is definitely a ripple effect. I mean, everybody can, you know, make their jokes about, you know, the coronavirus and what's happening. But, you know, once this passes and once this goes away, there's going to be the economic devastation that, you know, will take – a longer time to recover because everything yeah, will be, perfect. you know, you know, everything will be shut down. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, you know, like I said, I have some tickets to some concerts here at the end of the month and in, in, in early April. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, I don't know if these are going to happen. I, I don't, I don't see how they're going to happen. Yeah, that's it, man. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane, man. You know, it's, um, you can only just 
ride with it, really. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. As we wrap up here, if I were to ask you, or if you were to tell somebody, maybe that's a better way to put it, how would you describe the Rocket Dolls? Very crazy dudes. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly passionate. It's big sounding. It's got everything you want in rock, you know, in every kind of nook and cranny of rock. We've got it covered. You know, if you want to sing along, you can sing along. If you want to rock out, you can rock out. If you want to party to it, you can do that too. And if you want to sit back and just chill out, you can also do that as well. We've got you covered, man. Come check us out. I definitely want to check you guys out. I've actually been thinking about coming out there because I want to see you guys and Riders Creed, Takeaway Thieves. Uh, there's a band Massive that I really like. Massive Wagons is another band. You know, there's so many, yeah. you know, great bands in the UK. I want to, you know, obviously it's going to be more difficult to do it now because of the coronavirus, but I do want to spend like a week or two there and just experience the local scene, see the bands that I want to see out there and, uh, you know, be happy. Absolutely, Manuel. If you do that, dude, I'll buy you a couple of pints. <laughs> <laughs> you better, man. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, but it's, it's frustrating because I love new rock music, right? And I love, you know, the classic stuff too. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I really love what a lot of bands are doing right now. And I know, a lot of people talk about rock and roll being forgotten. And right now, I think there is some validity to that statement. It has been forgotten. It's, it, it's no longer relevant when people are thinking of, you know, acts to put on shows or acts to promote. It's either pop, it's either rap, and rock and roll is just never, not, never thought of. So it sucks. But I do think, though, that there's a lot of great new bands, whether they're in the UK, whether they're in Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Canada, Greece, there's this great band in Greece that I love. You know, I, I just think that there's a lot of things happening under underneath it all. And I think it's only a matter of time yeah. before rock and roll is here again in terms of new music and people enjoying it again. Absolutely, man. I think, you know, there's so much bands, you know, in the underground scene as it is, you know, you know that I just love, you know, and not only do I love, but they're, they're friends, you know. It's, um, there's such a thriving scene, you know. The underground is bigger than it's ever been. So, you know, it's, um, it's a good time to be, you know. It's, yeah, I know what you mean. It's people, um, there's always someone coming out coining, you know, rock is dead. It's like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, okay, maybe it's not played on mainstream radio, but like, you know, if you if you lift up the covers, you'll see that there's a whole other thing happening underneath. You just have to be proactive. You've got to lift it up yourself. It's not like how it was in the nineties or the noughties, especially like new metal and stuff, where it's pushed in front of you. you. It's not. It's not like that now. You have to go out and hunt for it yourself. You know yeah you know when you have especially the classic rock fans when you tell them about new music and they say rock new rock music sucks and i always respond with you're not listening you're not listening to the right stuff you know whatever you think new rock is there's no way 
if I put 10, 15, 20 bands or 20 songs by new bands in front of you right now, there is no way yeah. you would think that it sucked. There's just no way. You yeah. know, and, and I just, Highly. yeah, and I think that, you know, because maybe some bands that they've listened to haven't been that good, I don't know, but um, I just think having that idea of rock music, when rock music has given so much to them throughout their life, to not be open to hearing it needs to change. I think that that needs to change um, immediately. Yeah, I, 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 this, the one thing, and I've um, I've called people out for that stuff. You know, I'm not going to do that now, but I have called out bigger artists for that stuff before. It's like, you know, you complain about it, but you're contributing to the problem. You know, so either, you know, and people go like, oh, you never see rock artists, you know, uh, coming to see smaller bands. It's like, no, you don't anymore. You know, so they are part of the problem, you know. They're going, oh, no one ever goes up to support you artists. And like, well, you don't either, man. You know, I don't see you guys wearing, a, you know, you don't see Slash wearing a younger band T-shirt. I know he doesn't wear a T-shirt most of the time anyway. But like, you know, he, he does, you don't see people like that. Um, by the way, I'm not calling out Slash, just to uh, clarify. <laughs> just using that as an example. <laughs> but yeah, like, you. you know, you don't see... Do you know what I mean? You don't see bands doing, doing that, you know, but, you know, one thing I love about this, I loved about the Seattle scene is that everyone had each other's backs, you know, and, um, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of hard to, like, see how that's happening now when you haven't got people championing other bands. Like, even in, like, the 70s and stuff, you know, when you had, like, bands like Free and stuff come out, you'd have, like, Pete Townsend from the Who and um, Eric Clapton going to check out. Um, oh God, I name rolled off the top of my head. Um, Paul Kossoff, you know, because they're like, man, I had this new guitar player. Let's go and check him out. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really hear stories now of like, um, you don't really hear like bands from like you know ten, twenty years ago going to check out younger bands. Do you? That doesn't really seem to happen now, and you kind of go. But they're the same people that are moaning about rock music being dead or not rock music stuff. And it's like, well, like if you got off your butt and you came down to a local show where there's like five man and a dog, you know, maybe you can help turn that band from being, you know, playing to five man and dog to 500 people. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to, you know, you know I'm, I always remember hearing stuff like Carlos Santana saying, you know, if I, I, you know, I'm one of the people that holds the baton, I have to pass it down to someone. You know what I mean? And it's like, we need those bands to kind of start passing those batons down and handing it over to to us, you know, to take over. And have some great bands like Royal Blood doing that. I don't know if you know who they are, but they're from the same town as us. And, you know, they were playing to like 20 people until someone picked them up, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and then now they're one of the biggest like rock bands. You know, they're on sort of Foo Fighters and stuff. And it's like, that's the power that some of these people have. So the more people that could do that, the better it, it, would, it would be, man. You know, rather than getting all upset, you know, that they're not played on mainstream rock radio anymore and stuff. It's, yeah, go out. I, I, there's, so, there's so much great music. Yeah, I mean, you—I could not have said it better, Nikki. I mean, it—it it really is. 
uh, an issue. I mean, you see other genres of music do it. Country music does a great job of collaborating older legacy artists with newer artists to bring their audience in and to get exposure for, for new acts. And rock and roll, for, for whatever reason, some do it, some don't, but uh, it's not done enough. And I think that does need to change. Uh, I think that with a lot of acts, I mean, a, a lot of, you know, people like to, let's say what you, you know, what you just said. They want to complain that rock and roll is not irrelevant or they want to complain about this, but they don't do anything to help promote it and promote the new acts because that's where the future is. Yeah. You know, classic rock yeah. um, in the next 10 years is going to be gone. You know, the acts that we all love to see in concert, whether it's Aerosmith, whether it's Kiss, whether it's this band or that band, 10 years from now, they're going to be gone. So what's going to be left? Yeah. And, and I just think that uh, you're absolutely right. You know, more bands need to take younger acts out on tour. I know I get what the promoter, the promoter's trying to make and maximize their dollar, but there needs to be some space for the newer acts because sooner or later, those, that dollar that they're trying to, to cling to is not going to be there because there's going to be no acts to, to promote because no one did it now. But um, it is a problem, and I think that's a huge problem in rock and roll right now. I know when they announced the Motley Crue Def Leppard tour here in the States, I was upset when I heard that there was no opening act that was a newer act. And they just announced that last month with Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, which is a great new new rock band. But um, but yeah, right. you know, I mean, uh, it needs to, that. That's one of the many problems, and that. But that's a huge one. I absolutely agree. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I, and I know what you mean about the country scene because I, I, I'm a country music head as well. You know, and, you know, like I know, like you have the, the country music scene is, is so vast. You've got like traditional to like country and all that stuff but even people like Dirk Spent and stuff man like they are champion, championing the people who are coming through you know and it's it's important to take the least out of other genres like that you know and you know rap like you said people in the rap they're always doing it mm-hmm. you know Eminem wouldn't have been Eminem without um, Dr. Dre do you know what I mean and things like that and then you, ha- you have um 50 cent that wouldn't have been 50 cent of that and then you see how that like continues to go down the line and, you know it's, you, we just don't have that you know but yeah. you know I, I could talk about that for hours dude <laughs> I won't shoot too much about that <laughs> no no I, I've talked about it a lot on the podcast and other episodes about the state of rock and roll and what needs to change and what needs to happen so you know it's just um, you know you just gotta keep Keep on doing what you guys are doing, and hopefully it changes. I mean, that's kind of what we're left at at this night, and I do believe it will change soon. I do believe, like I said, there's a lot of new, great rock bands, new rock bands that are out there um, that are really yeah. coming up and rising up to the surface. That it's only a matter of time. You know, you you can't totally agree, totally you, agree. you can't keep a good song down. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you right. know what I mean. Well, hey, yeah. A hundred percent, dude. Well, Nikki, it was great talking with you and discussing the Rocket Dolls and your influences and the new album coming out May 1st. For all my listeners out there, the new album is Art of Disconnect out May 1st. The new single is The Grip that's out now. There's going to be a new single, the title track, released, I believe, this Friday, the 13th. 
So go check it out yep. on YouTube and all the, the streaming platforms. But Rocket Dolls, great band from the UK, one that uh, is up and coming and doing a lot of great things. And once again, Nikki, I do appreciate you doing the show. Man, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been a true honor. Thank you very much, brother. Well, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. And as I always say, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.